Broadcasting from New York City. Deep underneath us right now, four turtles and a rat are eating pizza. It's Matt and Brett Love Comics. This is Matt. Oh, this is Brett. Hey. Whoa, radical, hey. Brett. Uh, today's a chat episode. We've got ourselves a new little rig here. we got ourselves a soundboard, a couple new mics, some pop screens. But uh, also joining us today... A uh, very funny gentleman. He's a comedian here in New York City. Uh, has a great show at UCB East uh, called uh, Nat Townsend's Downtown Variety Hour. Uh, it happens round about 7.30 at UCB East. Um, you may have guessed his name already from the name of the show. It's Nat Townsend. Cowabunga. Cowabunga. Uh, thanks for being on the show today. Is there some sort thanks of so much di- for having me. Is there some sort of discrepancy about what time the show starts? Well, no. He's referring to my posters, which say round about 730 okay. at the UCB East, which is uh, all, all of the promotional materials, the postcards, the posters, and everything for my show are designed in the style of classic Blue Note records. Yes. Okay. Um, so it's me... Uh, in a sig- looking significantly less cool than a trumpet player or a sax player. Um, hold on, hold on. Stand-up comedians aren't as cool. Well, I like wear a suit and I make my hair go in, all in the right directions. So, like, I it's the best I can do. <laughs> um, but I, I, it's all designed to look like, like I said, like classic Blue Note album covers. So the the poster itself is is actually based on one of my favorite designs that we've had, which is based on Roundabout Midnight. Yeah. Um. So that's why it says Roundabout Seven Thirty, but it has retroactively <laughs> come to represent the fact that I'm dragging my heels a little bit. Or when, when Seven Twenty Eight rolls around, yeah. Yeah. theater manager Phil is always like, "Hey, uh, I think we're gonna think we're gonna start it on time this time." Give me like two minutes. <laughs> well, Lord willing. I it, well, you know, you you run a really fun show, and you'd mentioned like uh, I really like the design aesthetic of all of your advertising. Thank and you. Um, so your your show itself too. I should, I should give credit. Uh, almost all of that is designed by my girlfriend Alyssa Varner, who is a graphic designer at Harper Collins. Oh, nice. So I can't take credit. I've only done a couple of them myself, and she's uh, the more technical ones. If you look at the ones that are one color, those are me. Yeah, <laughs> those are the ones where she went, oh, honey. Yeah, no, that was the one where she went, like, it's a, it's a busy week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you know, you know have stand-up, and, and you're a stand-up comedian yourself. You have storytellers and stuff on the show. Mm-hmm. But what you also do is you also do provide like a history of the East Village mm-hmm. and downtown in New York City because you grew up in New York, correct? Yeah, I grew up on 2nd and Bowery when I was around six years old. We moved over to Broadway just south of Astor, and I lived there pretty much uh, my whole life. I mean, I went to college in Boston, and I moved back here afterwards. I live in Brooklyn now because somehow, when I wasn't paying attention, that neighborhood got very expensive. Yeah, what happened there? What was that about? Uh, complete deregulation of the uh, real estate industry yep. compared... Com- uh, Paired with a mayor who doesn't really care about local culture, paired with um, an economic boom right yeah. before we realized that that was a mistake. Mayor Bloomberg, Mayor Bloomberg, we, we're we having all of these problems, and he's just counting money like yeah, Gus Van yeah. Sant and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Like, what? Whatever. He's. I, was, I always imagined it more of like a Scrooge McDuck situation where he's swimming in it, but, you know, to each his own. That's Is, fair. Would he be a worse uh, – J. Jonah Jameson, better or worse mayor – than Bloomberg. Oh, better by far. Better. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Because Just want to point think... out that is a man who who has on several occasions built robots to kill another man, <laughs> yeah. and you are like or, he is a better mayor. Or well, hired assassins, like yeah. has dealt dirty dealings. Well, I know it's a lot less shiny and graphic to kill people via you know a militarized police force or neglect for the uh, lower class. But, sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I would I would argue that Bloomberg has done. 
worse. And also, I think that, you know, in the comics, we see, in spite of his uh, decades of, of uh, anger towards Spider-Man and many of the other citizens of New York, you see a warmer side to J. Jonas Jameson, which yeah. Michael Bloomberg has yet to reveal upon That's himself, fair. Or of himself. Well, That's now, fair. I mean, Michael Boom- Boomberg's Boomberg, yeah. that was a character that I wrote in a sketch, Mayor Boomberg. He was a rapper. Yeah. Played I believe by, it. Played by Jubin Parang. Love it. <laughs> um, so I always say Boomberg on accident. Uh, I don't know. I was going to make a joke, but then that derailed it, so it's not even worth. So continue. <laughs> I didn't know about that sketch, though, so we got something. It was done. a good sketch. Yeah. So what type of uh, <laughs> what type you. of history? <laughs> I mean, you've been doing the show for a while. What's mm-hmm. your favorite piece of history that you've presented on the show? Well, it's interesting. Um, it'd be hard to pick my favorite. I, I do a segment on the show, like you mentioned, called Downtown History. And, and I also will have... Um, historians and photographers or documentarians on as guests or sometimes i do that segment specifically the downtown history segment on my own and what, what i typically do is i will i'll either do uh a place that still exists you know i did one on grassroots tavern over on st mark's so oh yeah that place has history that what'd you say does it have interesting history it does have interesting it's a, history it's a it's a mediocre bar as far as i'm concerned well, well. you can leave <laughs> 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 That bar is uh, one of I, the I real have... survivors of the old St. Mark's place. Really? Ah. Yeah, I mean, that bar's been there. It, I mean, it hasn't really changed since the 70s. And that was like used to be one of the, po- you know, when all the music venues were over there, that was one of the places where people would hang out oh, after that's... shows and stuff were over. Cool. And now a lot of them are replaced with like Japanese hot dog places yes. or frozen yeah. yogurt <laughs> shops and stuff like that. In that my weird... defense, um, Grassroots did grab one of our friends by the throat and lift him out of the bar. Grassroots because... is not a person. You are thinking of the Swamp Thing. <laughs> <laughs> and also that did not happen to your friend. Uh, swamp Thing Swamp Thing used to be the bouncer there. Right? Uh, if yeah. you actually know what the bouncer at Grassroots <laughs> looks like, that's uh, not entirely inaccurate. And also, I, I feel like if Swamp Thing was going to be a bouncer at a bar, it would be at a bar called Grassroots. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. yeah. Uh, like, no, it does actually have interesting history. Like the the phys- it was like a three story townhouse. It was like a family used to live there. That was a servants' quarters where the kitchen was, oh, and like wow. the tin ceiling has been there since the eighteen hundreds. It's the original wooden floor that's been that's been there the whole time. Yeah, that floor is incredible there. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And the the wooden bar, the physical bar itself, is all one piece of wood. And it used to be in a bar up in Midtown, and that was like a World War II era bar. And then when oh, the person wow. opened Grassroots, they shipped it all in one piece down Holy to cow. downtown. Right, so they now got I, that now all I love in those doors. In yeah, one yeah. They, piece. Well, it's a curved thing too, so you had to imagine there was like a real like imagine you know like moving a mattress times yeah. ten yeah. around a corner. That's now wild. I see, knowing history, I now like that bar a lot more. I yeah, it's of... interesting how facts change things. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, that's part of why I do the shows because I feel, especially being a comedian, you get uh, I deal with a lot of people and I encounter a lot of people who are well-meaning but transient. And like a, a lot of I, I've talked to um, there's there's this group called the the Magic Garden, which is like a group of people who are native New Yorkers, and this lady Zoe runs it. And one of the things she says, she's like, you know. It's not wrong to move to New York and want to live here, but the worst kind of people are the people who move here with a bunch of money in their 20s and go, oh, I could never live here. You know, I would never stay here. Oh. Right. But as comedians, that's a lot of people's plans. It's not yeah. the same thing, especially not the lot of money part, but a lot of comedians, uh, you know, they move to New York planning to leave. They're like, oh, well, once I, you know, once I get some, a little bit of momentum, I go to L.A., of yeah. course, of course. I don't want to actually live here. Oh. So they become kind of, you know, transient citizens and I, you know, you meet people like that outside of comedy too. And I think that because New York is intimidating, a lot of people move here 
and they pretend they've been here forever and like oh that's my favorite spot it's the spot you know it's the cupcake shop they went the first day they came <laughs> yeah right? yeah oh this is like the i know like the best crumbs is vintage cupcakes yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and because and i think because they're a little intimidated they don't really get into what i consider to be great about the city which is not just places that are old but like you know there is a lot more uh, culturally nuanced establishments, not just businesses that you might not know about if you're immediately clinging to the thing that you recognize from home, you know? Absolutely. So the yeah. part of the show, the point of the show is to kind of, I try to be inclusive. It's not, I get a lot of native New Yorkers coming and I, actually a lot of senior citizens who've been in New York for decades come to the show. I've oh, noticed wow. that. Yeah. Nice I, demo. That's not a typical UCB East demo, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's what I'm going for. You know, I, I don't want to have the, the same people at every show or as every other show. But basically, um, I know this has been sort of long-winded way of getting at it, but I try to be inclusive, and I want native New Yorkers to like it, and I also want other people to come and feel more comfortable as a result of having been at the show. And it, I try to be like a guide to how to be a New Yorker without ruining New York. That's awesome. Wow. That's actually a pretty great service. Yeah. I mean, I know— For only $5? Can you believe it? Yeah, <laughs> what a bargain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Part of the – I wanted to move to New York for two reasons. One, Spider-Man. for comedy. And two, well, honestly, two, oh, yeah. the other no. reason is because I, I fell in love with it because of Saturday Night Live mm. and because of Marvel Comics. Yep. And that's the honest to God's when truth. When I first came here in 2005 on a trip um, – because I'm from Tennessee and I rarely left Tennessee. And coming to New York for the first time, I one I one felt way more at home in Manhattan than I ever did in Nashville. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mainly because Manhattan is – relatively easier to get around because mm-hmm. it's a yep. grid system whereas nashville has a tricky grid system where you'll think like oh i'm on 11th street eventually i'll hit 12th street no you won't you'll hit <laughs> 20 other numbers that aren't actually the next one what um but i remember coming to new you york and stay be- out of the west village though <laughs> yeah no I <laughs> because don't. i think 10th 12th and 11th no they well, don't fourth cross and each fourth other. Fourth, intersect. fourth fourth crosses yeah well fourth street crosses 10th 11th and 12th first crosses First, Waverly crosses Waverly. Yeah, yeah, but no, I agree with you. For other, uh, above Fourteenth Street, yeah, every, it it's makes a great a lot of sense. But when I first came here, I remember like thinking like, oh, like that's where the new warriors would have a have a uh-huh. brawl. Like seeing yeah. alleys, it's like, oh, those are alleys. Like that's. Yeah. I wonder. <laughs> that's I wonder how far like. back that one spawn is sitting on a heap of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> but like that's the thing when you come to New York, you actually do. That's why I love. That's why the Marvel Universe has such a more uh, hold in me. Is that is it's based in this reality where like you can't go to gotham but you can go to new york and i just wrote a article for marvel.com i guess last week um about like the neighborhoods of new york in marvel comics and i did a bunch of research on them and like uh, i don't know it's a pretty good article you guys should go read i actually it. really want to check that i well i read your column uh but that was not your your comic no, it's for marvel.com it was my um i'll have to check that out a day day job i, I uh know. i don't know all right well, well whatever i'll google you but uh <laughs> i mean in, in order to find that but uh, that is interesting that you say that because when i was growing up uh when i was in like elementary school and um you know x-men was i think the cartoon series was really popular at the time and yeah. and, and cards were really popular too collectible mm-hmm. cards yeah i got into marvel comics first like that was really what i was interested in mostly spider-man and x-men um a little bit of some other stuff but those were those were my main books and um, that was like, you know, all my friends were into that kind of thing. And I think I kind of stopped reading them by the time middle school came around. And then in, in high school, I got back into comics and read, read almost exclusively DC. Ah. Partially oh. because... Oh. Well, you know what's funny is my, my dad was like a 
grew up in the 50s, 1950s Superman fan. Like the TV show was his oh, favorite yeah. show and like yeah. you know, watched every every episode and everything. And so like when I was reading Marvel comics, he'd always be like, you ever read Superman? You ever read Mad? Because those were the things he loved. Yeah. yeah. So in high school, I think I actually started reading Superman as a way of connecting to my dad. I, cool. I'm not sure how conscious that was. Yeah. But yeah. I'd be like, hey, look at this thing that I'm reading. Did it work? Uh, yeah, actually. What did your dad think about the Superman comics you were reading? Uh, oh, he actually question. he actually read some of them, uh, which was interesting. Well, he was confused, though, because bearing in mind, like, I'm reading Superboy, and he was like, when I was a kid, Superboy was Superman as a boy. Yeah. And, and I had to be like, oh, Dad, you didn't hear about what happened in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I had yeah. to break Crisis on Infinite Earths to my dad, and he was like, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? Dad, I'm going to make you dinner. Well, it's going to be a whole evening. All right, Dad. On Earth X and then Earth S, there's... Did okay, you have to like, explain, like, Electric Blue Superman to him? I or was that after? probably didn't. Like, that's... I think I, I think I glossed over I that. feel like that is a bigger travesty than Crisis, right? But they just reverted that. Uh, yeah. I think they were just like, and let's wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. Back to normal Superman. Like, <laughs> Which is funny. You know, I, I actually read that when I started reading DC Comics. And by the way, in that chronology of things and I was going somewhere with it I'm, I don't think I've lost that thread uh, <laughs> but in that chronology of things uh, I jumped into Superman and I got really like really heavily into DC Comics where I was buying several books a week on my measly high school allowance or however I had money at the time and uh, I came in I think that was after the, the Superman blue or whatever you know yeah. had happened so I I was like oh that's interesting I wonder what that storyline's about and I, I read you know, I bought a bunch of back issues, and I was reading it, and my favorite thing, because that, that, like, it always comes up, or comes up every so often when, in like, something big happens in comics, is I read all of that in retrospect. So Superman was back to normal by the time I was oh, reading man. that. Yeah. So, but the best part is, the letter columns were all still <laughs> there, yeah. and yeah. people were furious yeah, of and like, oh, yeah. most of them were just like this is not superman this is not the superman i grew up with and occasionally you'd get a guy who was older being like already wasn't like when i was a kid he could just jump really high you know yeah like all the characters in the background were the same guy like who cares you know <laughs> it's different but most of the time it was people who were furious so when i hear people getting mad about superior spider-man or something it's like it's gonna come back you yeah. idiot yeah yep. Yeah, like they always do this kind of thing. Just go read Metropolis Mailbag from Superman number five hundred and twenty or something. Yeah, and just look at how just the vitriol of all the people <laughs> writing in. Like you, like they're so. And I do love how close to people's heart superheroes are. Like I, I you know, I think a lot of people kind of laugh at how attached people get to superheroes. I think it, I find it really endearing. But um, it is really funny just to see that because like people are furious and it's like yeah you couldn't oh, yeah. see this coming you and didn't I, know I, they were gonna bring it back and I feel like I don't know I wrote this touches on a couple of different articles I've written where like one of them was I I, I at one point realized that my fandom basically I had a five year course I like from ninety three to ninety eight was uh, the X-Men for 93 to 98 was like this one self-contained story. And like all the deaths that happened within that time all remained, all the changes all remained. And it wasn't until I noticed big time the editorial hands coming in and being like to Joe Kelly and Steve Siegel, like, no, all of your plans are gone mm. because Excalibur is canceled and we're shoving these characters into the book. And then I was like, oh. Around when was that? 98. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, wait a second. That's... These things are like editorial driven. 
they're all in cycles. And now I'm just seeing the same cycle start over again. And then all of a sudden everyone's resurrected, a whole bunch of new people died. And it's like, and so I wonder when people are having these superior Spider-Man freakouts, well, you would, you would think, oh, this is just their first time encountering this. Like they you don't really know. Think. You would think, but then <laughs> no, like realize like, no, like somehow these are people that have lived in red comics for 30 years and are still like, yeah. I don't know. I guess I can kind of envy that childlike wonder. <laughs> To some degree. I mean, I think that that is, and um, I think that it's it's both, like I said, I, th- I find people's attachment to the characters endearing, but I think that's for a different reason. I think that, like, the function of, of superhero comics as a modern mythology and even, like, a moral core for some people is actually really important. Um, Agreed. But um, especially as, uh, like, I will say, I will speak as someone who was reading comics as he decided not to be Catholic anymore. Yeah. And so like that I would say that that had a profound effect on me and like I remember I remember a specific day in like uh, I think a freshman year social studies class in high school where people were talking about the you know the concept of eye for an eye and is that um moral or is it, is it ethical and like you know if someone killed someone in your family would you be justified in killing them? And I was the only person in a class of 30 who said, no, that lowers you to their level. That would be completely unethical. And all these bloodthirsty 13-year-olds, I mean, who knows? Maybe people didn't want to just – maybe they saw the direction it was going and they were just, you know, pack mentality 13-year-olds. But the point being, I remember, like, being literally the only person – not like, literally the only person (laughs) who – sorry – who was against that. And I I didn't say this out loud, but I was like, that's what Batman would do, obviously. (laughs) Because that's where I'd gotten that lesson where it was like, you know, you don't – if someone kills someone close to you, you don't kill them back because you become as bad as the person who killed the person in your family. That's right. Uh, But, okay, so I think that obviously the function of superheroes as an emotional bond and as a a sort of ethical reference is important – um, but I also think there is that problem where like, uh, people get so attached that they're not willing to allow changes to happen oh, in comics. Yeah. Yeah. That's and part I think of it especially too. Especially now that's starting to be, I mean, it's always been kind of a problem, but I, I can't remember who I, who I am about to quote, but, um, <laughs> I remember hearing someone say like, you know, Every so often we tell the beginning of the story, but we've been telling the middle of the story for decades. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I don't remember what if this was about like Marvel's The End or well, some of that. It's almost like that, what like, Hickman you know... said about when he killed Johnny Storm mm-hmm. was like, he was like, I killed him like knowing I'm going to bring him back. But the point is, is like we're constantly telling the middle of a story. I want to actually tell the end. I want to see what Ben and Reed and Sue do when Johnny dies, yeah, knowing full well that he can't be... die forever. Yeah, I mean, I, I I understand the constant, the sliding timeline, the constant modernization of this is taking place roughly now. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's it causes a lot of timeline problems that are, are weird, <laughs> I'm sure. But I understand the justification of that. But I think I think that the problem is you're like, okay, so they're adding new superheroes all the time, right? There is this group, like say there's the Justice League. At some point they formed, right? There were mm-hmm. all these independent superheroes. They met each other eventually, decided that they all checked out for, as good guys, yeah, yeah. and yeah. they all you formed. You seem okay. Yeah. And then eventually they were all a team, and then they fought together as a team for a long time. In this story, there is a pre-Justice League, right? Now, whether yeah. when this ha- takes place has to be now all the time. Fine, whatever. It's still now. But 
now that they have formed, right, there is going to be a time logically in that story, not saying what happened in the comics, I'm saying in the way that a story works, that one of them dies or yeah. that they break up or something like that. Like there is a moment in time in the DC universe when Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and Hal Jordan and all these people are still alive. And if that is a reality, if you are establishing a reality, you have to sort of admit that eventually – piece by piece, not all at once, it's going to disassemble or change. And I think the problem with comics is we're like there could be so many interesting stories as to like what is the world like once yeah. Batman is gone yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Because well I especially think when you're dealing with characters that are gods or don't age at the regular rate, one of the really interesting things is like why does Thor care so much about these five guys when he's been around for hundreds of years? Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and, and eventually yeah. he's going to outlive all of them. And like, what's it like after he's fought along Captain America for and decades and Thor then he God finally of dies? Thor, you know? God of Thunder is really like, Jason Aaron is really tapping into all that stuff right now with his, like, by doing this, uh, telling concurrent stories of like past Thor, current Thor and like future yeah. Thor. And even like future Thor at times is like fuzzy on the details is like, I was an Avenger, uh, who like? Yeah, <laughs> uh, they do that a lot in comics, where it's like, oh, it's so far in the future that they don't really remember the present day, <laughs> and that's their way of being like, look, we don't know what's going to happen further than three years out, so like, we got to <laughs> yeah. we got to compensate for like, oh, maybe that did or didn't happen because they don't want to tell future story and be locked to it. And there's yeah. like this, and there's a weird like scrambly fear when things like Superior Spider-Man happen, where there's a part of your brain that the part of like certain fans brains that feel like if Peter Parker is dead, 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 then like his story is over. And therefore I can't get any joy out of that character anymore. Like even if they stop publishing Spider-Man comics right now, new joy, new joy, like you'd still have 70, like, well, not Spider-Man, like 50 years worth of stories that are still on your shelf. Yeah. You know, like, and probably, unless you're a total completist, some that you haven't read exactly. yet. Yeah. yeah, there is some web of Spider-Man out there you have not read. <laughs> well, like... You know what's interesting, too, is uh, a couple of issues back, we were talking about um, the uh, the Executioner's song and how everything sort of went down when Chris Claremont left the X-Books. Oh, yeah. And what X-Men was becoming at that time and how the company saw the characters. And Chris Claremont had grown the X-Men concept to a place that it was so far removed from the school and the idea that they were a a New York-based group of mutants operating out of uh, one man's home that was essentially a school to teach them how to use their powers. Now they were in the Australian outback, scattered across the world. Um, And Bob Harris sat him down and was like, look... Like you're, you're doing this stuff, but we need you to bring it back to like the school. We want to do all this stuff, and he's like, "Yeah, but I've already told those stories." Yeah, which so is you, reasonable. Yeah, it's totally reasonable. Like as a as a creator, I'm sure you get to a certain point where it's like, "I've told all these stories, and I I like these characters, and I want to keep telling different ones." But you're, I think it's a sobering moment when you realize that you're a caretaker. In yeah. a sense, more than you are and the steward. If yeah. you listen to Claremont talk, I mean, I got, I've like heard him speak a bunch. Like he's still very, and okay, this is the like comic books are such a weird, weird thing because Claremont created, like he created with John Byrne and with the artists that he was working with, Kitty Pride and Rogue. Like those are his characters, yeah. But they're also not his characters, and so yeah. you hear him talk nowadays, and he. Like, in his mind, like, 
Kitty, like he knows who the real Kitty Pride is. He knows where Kitty should be right now. He knows the right thing to do with Kitty. But then it's like, well, Joss Whedon wrote a really awesome Kitty Pride, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, that's a tough thing. Like, not it's, only it's hard. Like, you don't own it after you stop writing it. Not only that, you don't own it while you're writing. Yeah. It. Like, yeah. you have yeah. some control, but it's like from the moment of conception, you really, that's it. Like, you're, you're, there's always sort of a hand on your shoulder, which is an idiom I think I made up, but nonetheless, <laughs> like, it's the editor's hand. He's like, looking at oh, yeah. your yeah, shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I saw it immediately. Okay, it was like cool. kind of bony and a little ghosty. Yeah, okay. Never mind. It's not an idiom. I'm just uh, very figurative in my speech. And, yeah. And uh, I did, it was successful. So, anyway, like, there's always, yeah, there's always like some degree to which, um, you have influence in your writing. And oh, yeah. Like, and it's kind of like what you were saying before, like the it's a difficult thing in comics because like when you start to see the hand of the editor, it can kind of ruin it for you. Like it's interesting yeah. you said that like ninety eight, because I had just kind of I think just from whatever was popular, you know, uh, it was like skateboarding now, so we weren't reading comics as much anymore, <laughs> you know, like uh because of the whims of of click mentality, I wasn't reading uh x-men in 98 i think a year or two earlier i'd kind of like like i started reading at that number one issue the yeah, Jim, 91. Jim Lee one yeah, yeah. Uh, 91 yeah and i had a few years earlier kind of fallen off from reading any of that stuff consistently and then um like as i mentioned in high school started reading dc comics and i and around the time when i got out there when i stopped reading them and there were other circumstances that led to that but one of the things that kind of ruined it for me in the comics was um Time Warner had purchased DC, yeah, and they were going to put out a Teen Titans uh, uh, animated series, I think. And as a result of that, they canceled the Teen Titans book, they canceled the Superboy book, they canceled the Impulse book, and oh, they canceled right. Young Justice. And then they brought out this new, or they canceled the Titans, which was which was basically the, the Teen yeah. Titans and DC continuity had grown up yeah. at this point. So there were Titans, Young Justice, and a bunch of the books about those characters. And Nightwing survived, but they collapsed all the team books. They got rid of Superboy and Impulse, and those as a teenager, were, like, my favorite books. Yeah, yeah. And then it was just like, oh, we put out this new book. It's I think it was Teen Titans or something like that because they wanted what they had in stores to match what they were yep. putting on TV, and it wasn't that good. And I, and, and they canceled um, – you know, I don't know if going back and reading Young Justice if I would love it now, but it spoke to me when I was yeah, the age exactly. of the characters. Yeah, And yeah. they stopped it in the middle of a story with one of those, like – you know when you ever read one of those last issues where it's clear they were given like a month at most or maybe oh, two? Oh yeah, yeah. Where yeah. It's like, well, wrap it all up, and they're like, well, okay, I had something coming six issues <laughs> down the line, but sure, let's let this really small sentimental moment be the capper for the whole series, and like yeah. try to make things come full circle. Yeah. And like in Superboy, it was just like, yeah, he goes to like stay in Smallville or something for a while and not be Superboy or something. Yeah. And like, out of nowhere, he just, like, the last two pages are him flying, like, over an ocean and then over the land. And then he's like, ah, I'm just going to hang out here for a while, guys. <laughs> ah, but good. it made an impression. You remember it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I remember my... my. Well, it is it is just, like, it's that is a thing that I think makes it frustrating to read comics sometimes is when it's, like, it's not... You want to think that everything is for the... Sake the sake of the art. The sake like, of the narrative, at yeah, the very like the, least. Because yeah. everything... I think one of the appeals um, of comics, and you know, there, there are a lot of ways that you could be critical of this, but I think this is a thing that you don't really see offered in other mediums, in other media, is a ongoing narrative that is not only happening, like, 
very long term, but also multiple stories concurrently happening. Like, yeah, there are very few, you know, there are now we're starting to get more movies and TV shows that take place in the same world. Well, it's highly complex storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, there's really only like, I don't know, early 1900s science fiction and horror, like some of that stuff. They build huge worlds and stuff like that. But there's really not a lot of other media where you can get that. So when you feel like this beautiful palace of stories is <laughs> being Story palace. painted. Yeah, trademark. Yeah, just well, just by this, like, something so superficial that has nothing to do with the narrative. It's like, well, why did that story end abruptly? Like, oh, some TV show that no one remembers or yes. something like yeah. that, you know? Well, you know, it's interesting, too. Um, Disheartening. Yeah. Another type of storytelling within that realm that we don't really see anymore. This is something else Brett and I were talking about recently. I'm a, I'm a huge uh, uh, fan of Thanos. Um I has been like my favorite villain ever, and we were talking about how in the seventies, Mister Sinister is mine. There he is. Um, <laughs> oh. In the seventies, oh, was I supposed to say mine? Yeah. What is yours? Favorite supervillain? Yeah. Oh man. Uh, I mean, probably Magneto. I'm gonna say that's great. Tragic, like the you know, I, I think that his. I mean, you want to talk about the Marvel universe being more grounded? Like, oh yeah. yeah. There's no better parable than like guy survived the Holocaust and doesn't want to let that happen again. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's that's more like you can't like I, I mean not that I identify with that I didn't have that childhood but like but what I mean is like there's no more grounded and inarguable uh, backstory for yeah, yeah. She's like why are you yeah. doing this uh, because I survived the ho- oh okay because uh, the Holocaust okay yeah, yeah. well yeah you make sense although. Uh, Mr. Freeze, also a big one of mine. Mr. Freeze is pretty great. Yeah, pretty tragic guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'm really in for the villains who could have been heroes at some yeah. point. Yeah, that's that's the thing that the I'm all, I'm a sucker for the stories of the like the character that could go one way or yeah. another. Yep. Um, I love the movie Chronicle. Uh, yeah. Well, and I like tattered capes. Yeah, there you <laughs> yeah. Go, it's there just you, go. you know the tattered more capes. shredded the better. But yeah, I like the I like the super villains that like could have could have ended up heroes and then circumstance ruined it for them. Or sure, something, right? Or they got tipped the wrong way in a moment of weakness or something. Yeah, um, and that's like we we were talking about Thanos and Jim Starlin's writing in the seventies, and you talk about like a long game. Oh yeah, here's a guy who would jump from book to book to book, but was. It didn't matter one story. Yeah, he was telling <laughs> one story across whatever book he was working on. At I the didn't time. realize that. I decided to just read all the Guardians, like all the five movie Guardians' first appearances, and then I realized that all their first appearances don't contain their origin. So oh, then yeah. I had to like hunt down. Well, what are their origin issues? And I realized that Jim Starlin told the because he created most of those characters, and he yeah. from the current Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, from those like you know your your Groots, your Rockets, your Gamoras. I mean, Gamora and Drax are his characters. Yeah, uh, and he told that same story through Iron Man, Adam Warlock, Strange Tales, uh, and Captain Marvel. And least, Iron, Ma- you said and, Iron Man, uh, yeah. yeah. So like through at least four books, like every time they would move him to a different book. Like, oh, great, I got a new assignment. Yo, I'm still going to tell the same story. <laughs> yeah. This is going on. Captain Marvel's going to be in the lead of it now, but yeah. it's still happening. They're going to space. Yeah. They're going to space. Uh, uh, Steve Englert would do that, too, with, um, oh, Mantis? Oh, yeah. That's, oh, I never heard uh, that. Oh, okay, yeah. She was this uh, celestial creature that if he was on a the Marvel book. The Celestial Madonna? Yeah, the Celestial Madonna. Inevitably, she would show up. Um, she actually was a member of uh, DNA's Guardians yeah, of the Galaxy. Yeah, Guardians for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I feel like that's speaking on two levels that we don't see anymore. Like you see Bendis 
who will be in control of an entire franchise, and they'll tell all these stories within Avengers, but then, like, those those sort of creations that he brings in there, he's not continuing that thread whenever he takes over the X-Men. Like, Maria Hill's going to show up. Yeah, Maria right. Hill's in there, but only because, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. is an omnipresent force, but we haven't seen, you know, your Jessica Joneses in X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not it's not like oh Jessica Jones is suddenly now the nanny <laughs> at uh, the Jean but Grey Bendis school. But Bendis was responsible for I mean just through New Avengers like he made Luke Cage he he made Carol Danvers happen also I mean like he brought her back True. after mm-hmm. um, after Kurt Busiek you know made her an alcoholic and had her kicked off the Avengers it was Bendis and Brian Reed who were like well we're gonna bring her back to the fore yeah um, and he also like brought Jessica Drew back from. Like I love think I love stumbling across '90s appearances from a lot of the Marvel characters that are popular now. Uh, oh golly, Bob Howdy! Yeah, I was, I've just finished reading um, what what is it called? Uh, Operation Galactic Storm for the first time. Oh, you yeah. finished it? Oh I finished boy, it. what Great. is Operation Galactic Storm? That Ooh. is uh, <laughs> basically the Kree versus the Shi'ar, but they're they're using a space portal next to Earth that is threatening to cause our sun to just fucking like flare the fuck out and destroy Earth. So the Avengers are like, hey. They they do they split off into two teams to go like mediate. Um, like, yo 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 guys 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 cool it guys pop pop. Um, uh, but reading that Carol Danvers's binary uh shows up right. Um, Carol Danvers and during her time as binary, she runs afoul of Quasar, I do believe. Yes, and um, they get into a fight. Capullo art. I think I have Quasar number one somewhere. They take her to shiny book, and they take her to like um their ship, and she powers down, and they're like, oh, we still have her on file from when she was Miss Marvel as Carol Danvers, and uh, Quasar's like, oh, that's who that is, (laughs) (laughs) and it's like, yeah, you didn't see her a lot for ten years. That's true. And now she's super popular again. By the way, if you ever want a really fascinating read, type Captain Marvel into Wikipedia. And not only is the... Well, both the Marvel and DC pages are fascinating because it's like every decade the lawsuit was in a different... Oh, yeah. Like a different phase. (laughs) And then like, you know, but also along the time each company acquired other comics companies or like like the litigation and the licensing changed throughout throughout the course of, of several decades so it's like all right so in 1974 they were allowed to say this but not that yeah. and like it wasn't until the new 52 that i think they dc finally lost and they're like all right his name is shazam, shazam or whatever yeah. shazam. um which well, is dumb but but it is interesting and even like also i think they should have changed his name to gomer pile <laughs> shazam <laughs> Uh, also, I, mean, uh, I couldn't get the rights for that. Yeah, <laughs> Captain Marvel Volume Nine, I do believe, debuts. Like the next volume is the ninth volume of Captain Marvel, and I guess that's because like Marvel need, needed to keep publishing new Captain Marvel number ones because yeah. there have been. I mean, even like Monica Rambeau had a one shot in like mm-hmm. the late eighties and early nineties. Well, that's why you'll like... randomly see a Hellcat miniseries yeah. because they need to maintain their trademarks yeah. and uh... certain you know copyrights. But you still get some good stories out of that. Um. You know, and it's interesting uh, because I kind of want to use this to seg into some news that uh, has popped up in the last week. We usually do more evergreen topics, but I think this is this ties into evergreen. Uh, quit thinking out loud, Matt, and get to the point. The point is this. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about comic books, and Lord knows Brett and I have spent over 100 episodes talking about comic books. And a lot of times it's it's superhero work. And in the last week... There was a retailer summit called Comics Pro that happens every year 
where publishers will come and show the retailers some of the stuff that's going to be coming up in the books, tease a little bit, uh, and I believe also sort of wine and dine the retailers as a thank you for continuing to you know, keep them in business as publishers. Sounds like a really sexy evening. Yeah. Real sexy <laughs> evening. Uh, a sexy evening with it, I'm sure it takes place until like 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It's a oh, real wine. sexy morning. Ten, some and like a, in a beige room with fluorescent lights. Yeah, yeah. You can you can hear the din of the mm, Yeah, the, of the lights. Very yeah. uncomfortable There's chairs. There's a short circuit on the mics. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Oh, chairs. hot mic. Got some feedback. Yeah, metal folding chairs with like a half desk that folds over from one armrest. Oh, yeah, boy. yeah, yeah. A lot of shuffling paper in the microphone <laughs> while someone's looking at their speech. Uh, uh. Anyways, at this sexy anyway. Oh, real, it. real sexy shuffling. Uh, at this year's comic pro, comics pro rather, uh, Eric Stevenson, the publisher of Image Comics, got up and gave a, a keynote address that has caused a lot of uh, bristled neck hairs, I would say, on other publishers' necks and a lot of retailers as well. Um, it's interesting because I think that. What happened was there were some slug lines that were taken out of the actual speech itself and oh, used yeah. for other people to kind of uh, grab onto. But in reading the actual speech, and we'll provide the actual a link to the actual speech in the, this episode's show notes. Uh, it'll be a link to Bleeding Cool. Um, Which I personally do not support. Yeah, sorry, Brett. Uh, But it's (laughs) the only place that I've found that has... removed them from my Feedly. Yeah. But this is the only place that I've found that has the actual uh, full address (laughs) that he gave to uh, Comics Pro in Atlanta. And the the gist of it is, you know, we get a lot of great feedback from you guys. And it's amazing because you care. And he's speaking directly to direct market retailers uh, at this point. He's talking about... Uh, how he wants the stores to be stronger. And he says that he's not a status quo guy. He's someone who's constantly looking to make things better. He's constantly looking to the future. He is the Tony Stark of comics. Wait, he said um, that? No, he did not say okay, that. Okay, because I don't I think he that. would say that. No. Um, he is saying... He says that a lot of the practices that are happening right now are detrimental to the business, and they're sort of cannibalizing their own industry. He talks about... How uh, a lot of the things that are happening right now, a lot of the trends in comics are short-term trends. He cites – he specifically says, stop letting publishers lie to you and deceive you and your readers so they can prop up their position in this industry in their craven attempts to appease shareholders. His words, not mine. Some of this is a little eh, opinionated. Um, But – He goes on to say, this may help in the short term, and maybe it puts a couple extra coins in your change purse at the end of the week. Who still has a change purse? But the reality of the situation is they have literally everything but your best interest at heart. It starts with a biweekly and weekly shipping schedule and extends into pricing. Are $4.99 and $7.99 comics going to help our industry in the long run? No, but they sure help the bottom line at the end of the year. Same with gimmick covers and insane incentives to qualify for variants that will only have a limited appeal for a limited amount of time. Everybody moans about variants, but here's the honest-to-goodness truth. You stop ordering them, we'll stop making them. Yeah. Uh, how do you guys feel about that so far? Do you agree, disagree? See, yeah, you want to... It sounded like you had something to say there, but I, 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 got, I think I tend to agree. I mean, I think... 
Well, first of all, it's almost as if the rest of culture has caught up to comic books where it's like everything is a reboot and like everything True. is either a sequel or a reboot. And yes. comics, I think comics didn't do it as badly, as poorly or as as detrimentally as like say for example the film industry is now stuck in Yeah. You know, there's like you know, as the movie an adaptation of a book, is it a sequel or is it a reboot of a pre-existing franchise? And if it's not I'll I'll go see it just because I'm impressed that that exists. Yeah, right. But like, so it's not that bad in comics. But of course, comics deal with the you know the ongoing reboots and universe creations and number one issues and variants and stuff. And like, I feel like we've been here before. Like, you yeah, know, I, yeah. I I have a million shiny comics from 1993, and I I kind of thought that we all know knew that that ended poorly, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. didn't that yeah. crash at a yes. certain point? Oh, yeah. Didn't, it destroyed the industry. Yeah, didn't Marvel lose yeah. the right, the film rights to a lot of their characters as a result of that? Like, yeah. directly resulting yeah. in all the movies we hate? Like, I would say the difference... We've been here before, right? The difference is, and I think... I haven't I haven't read any of this because I saw a lot of people getting mad on Twitter and when I see a bunch of people getting mad about one thing on Twitter I almost purposefully avoid that thing because I don't want to get mad. <laughs> I feel like I a lot of great Daniel Tosh routines. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I stumble across <laughs> You haven't seen Brickleberry yet? Uh, no. <laughs> Um, I feel like I stumble across enough things that make me mad that I don't need to go seek out other things sometimes. Um, point, but from the things great. that I saw people getting mad about I agree with what Eric is, what my what my bro Eric is saying. Um, I think the difference between now and '93, and I think that what also people were inferring from this statement is that a lot of the comics that are being published bi-weekly and that are expensive and that are getting multiple covers are also really good. Like that is yeah. the difference. Mm-hmm. Is that in yeah. 1993 they were crap? Sure. And I think they knew they were crap then, but now it's like. Hawkeye is getting a bajillion variants and stuff, and Hawkeye is a good comic. Daredevil is a good comic. Yeah, um, bi-weekly that book. Uh, no, Daredevil or Daredevil Haw- sticks to monthly. Hawkeye isn't is whenever the hell they can make it come out. But yeah. like Bendis's all new X Men is bi-weekly, and it is good. I was honestly not looking forward to yeah. Bendis's X Men books. Well, what I, about Spider Man? Also, like yeah, I mean, that was bi-weekly Spider-Man. for, but also even Amazing was was yeah. was bi-weekly for years. Yeah, yeah, they would do that. It was really solid, and they're not yeah. mutually exclusive. And that's the thing is like, there's I don't a, think bi-weekly is the problem. At no, all. and I, but I also don't think the well, yeah, like variants and all that are bad. You can continue, but I'm just saying, like, I think that a lot of people got mad because they read into this is an attack on the quality of the books. Sure, but it's really an attack on more the marketing. Yeah, and I think that I think that you're hitting on something very important that I think a lot of people, even other publishers who've responded, uh, didn't take away from this that I sort of did. I don't know. I may be wrong, but he does go on to say too. Um, they're only produced. To shore up market share, that's it and that's all. And when used in conjunction with quality-based incentives, they don't sell more comics. They just result in stacks of unsold books that send the wrong message to your customers about the titles, your stores, and our industry. That type of marketing is built on short-term sales goals that do little to grow and sustain readership. And it's a trick that's been done to death in our industries, in other industries, to diminishing returns. If you want an example of how this works outside comics... Just look at the music industry, where they've nearly reissued, remastered, and repackaged themselves into an early grave. Um, yeah. As someone as someone who is a jazz fan, mm-hmm. um, talking about remastering and reissuing and repackaging old uh, jazz records. Yeah, I'm. I have. Uh, I think I have three different. Uh, I have like at least three different pressings of Kind of Blue. Like, right. right, and like you know that's an, a classic album. But yeah, you know, or how many. Uh, 
how many how many times can we buy the Beatles? <laughs> like right, a new generation is ready to buy the Beatles all over again. Let's <laughs> let's let's uh, remaster it and put it in AAC form or whatever. Yeah, and, I mean, I think the music industry is a great comparison for any industry that needs to be shocked into changing their ways for the modern era. I mean, the music industry was kind of the canary in the coal mine where it was like they could have seen digital music files coming we the technology was very clearly around the corner but like 10 years down the line you could have seen that compression was going to get better and someone could have gone hey with this internet thing aren't people just going to be able to email each other songs or what if they invent something even easier than that (laughs) and they they were an old institution that basically said no we are going to keep doing things our way we're going to we're going to prosecute everyone who yep. tries to go against us and we're going to charge more per cd i mean you remember like the year before napster came out you would see a double disc album 3199 or something yeah. like that single disc oh, yeah. 1799 yeah. it's yeah. insane where like they 5 years got before what was yeah. coming to them like <laughs> and now other industries i think they do need to look where it's like inflation special editions reissues remasters and it's not even that that it's not the fact like i say i have multiple copies of kind of blue or something that's not like repressing old jazz albums is not the problem the problem is that the music industry went for a bunch of gimmicks based on the fact that four companies controlled the whole thing and then they could mutually increase prices and just this sort of one-upsmanship of like whose gimmick is the gimmickiest to get people yeah. to buy records, and you know horizontal integration, and pro- you know getting their music put in movies, and or, you know whatever they could do, other than signing good artists to get you to buy more music. And like it's not necessarily the same thing as comics in that like it's not about the covers or the um you know the specific rebooting kind of thing the the fact is they were more about marketing than content and they failed to see a collapse in their industry i think yeah. that's the, the parallel you could really draw yeah absolutely yeah um and brett i think you bring up a good point too especially about the quality of the work because a lot of times you look at when the most innovation happens in any industry and almost always that's when there's almost no money being made mm-hmm. because once the money starts coming in, everyone wants to protect the money yeah. so they don't reach out as much. And what's interesting is you're seeing a lot more innovation even though the money is there. Like say what you will about the New 52. It's an audacious and it's an audacious feat to say we're wiping the slate clean on all of our characters uh, and basically starting over for a new generation. You yeah. look at – and guys, we're doing it with almost no planning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. that's really yeah. brave. Honestly, I wish that is what they did, but that's not even entirely. They're yeah, like, that's true. That's what a, they marketed. It's not it as. a reboot. No, but they were like, it's not a reboot. Don't use the word reboot. Maybe it's a soft relaunch, but yeah. some of the characters are going to. Basically, it was like, the books that are selling are going to keep the Batman stories and Green going. Lantern are yeah. Fine. yeah, yeah. But then that didn't end, like, a year in. They're like, maybe that's not true. Because, wait, why would Batman have had a thousand adventures and now he just yeah. met Super? Superman, that doesn't really make any sense. So right. now Just make everything more com- happened. Yeah, like, more complicated. Yeah. Um, by not wiping the slate clean, they they did it worse. I yeah. Think. yeah. They made it harder. <laughs> I, I think I'm diverting a little bit here. No, but yeah. I also think it is a, an example of, like, 
it's ambitious how they did that, but it's also, I think, a pretty good example of how you that can go wrong so easily. Oh, and it, yeah. was, it, was, and, like, it was a really a big attention grab can result immediately in a lot of chaos. Yeah, it was the smartest. Like that was the thing was if if you could have matched DC's uh, DC's braveness to to actually wipe a slate clean and start with a whole bunch of new number ones, if you could have matched that with the talent that Marvel has creatively, mm-hmm. you could have actually had something that could have revolutionized the industry. Because the thing is, like, DC had the thing, they had the hook that people that don't read comics, that want to read superhero comics, they had the hook that they want, which is, you don't have to know anything. Right. right. Which, that, which is, the I think, the false barrier to entry that a lot of people have with comics, is they have this you know, Breaking Bad lost mentality of like, I have to start with number one, which is like with comic books, you have to, you have to interact with them in a different way, which is like, you're going to have to accept the fact that you're not going to know everything. And you have to, you have to learn how to in, in ingest stories differently. Learn to read a book where when there is something out of context, you can determine whether it's new information or something being referenced that you don't know about. That's really hard for new readers and being okay with not knowing it. And then also like having Wikipedia, which is a thing I did not have when I was a kid. I had trading cards. I had trading cards and the little bubbles that used to be in the corner. Yes. Where the editor would be like, way which, back in this issue, which like, why oh, those are not, which that. why those are not store hyperlinks in Comicsology to bypass issues. I do not know why that is not happening. Um, but yeah, instead, DC totally should be doing. Well, DC, they also have mostly gotten rid of those, though. Yeah, <laughs> but in the old books, they should they bring do them that. back. Like that's like fucking advertise I your books like within your those. books. I, I love think them. They, some people think they take you out of the book. I mean, they still do it in Spider-Man and stuff yeah. like that. I, and, I, and again, you know what I takes me out of the Spider- book is the fact that there are. I, I'm reading the words another person is saying. It's it's already a like, false reality. Yeah, yeah, but I Wait. think you can get lost in a comic, and, and even though you're reading it, but yeah. the idea of introducing the writer or the editor could be pull you out of the reality. Yeah. But then again, that's what I liked yeah. about Spider-Man, where it's like. It's a story. You're being told a story, and the people who are telling the story are really enthusiastic about yeah, it. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> they'll like, whisper in your ear and be like, yeah. oh, that happened a couple issues ago. And here's my nickname. Yeah, and this is my <laughs> – I'm Simper and Steve. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about it in the lens of superhero comics too. Yeah. And part of the speech was also the fact and, – and I think this is a really interesting point, and I think this may be one of the biggest uh, touchstones of it um, – is that he talks about how comics aren't just superhero books. And he says, As an industry, we still cling to the short-sighted and mistaken notion that presenting ourselves to the world as Marvel and DC as superhero movies is the key to reaching a wider audience, and it's just not. People know what Spider-Man is. People know what Superman is. They know Batman. They know the X-Men. And you know what? Do they? That's a separate can of worms. Well, hold on. (laughs) You know what? They've already made up their mind about that stuff, and that's why the success of these movies has yet to translate into an avalanche of readers into our industry. We've trained the world to think of comics as Marvel and DC superheroes, and the world has stayed away. We need to fix that. Here is a thing. Here is a thing um, that I that the lack of transparency with digital comic sales is the biggest like mystery to that statement because I don't I. From personal experience, I personally know that everyone that I know that has just started reading comics because they love these movies are buying them digitally. They are not going mm-hmm. to stores. And in fact, they are kind of scared of stores, rightfully sure. so, uh, in some cases. Um, so the fact that like Comixology's numbers are a big old mystery question mark like with like vague top ten lists and no like concrete, like, we sold X amount. 
like until Comicsology can be like, we've actually sold this many copies of Captain Marvel, which I mean, we were at that Heroes Con panel where, yeah, what, like a quarter of the people in a packed room were like, I started reading comics because of this comic book, and they also said, I only read this comic which is book. also like a crazy thing yeah how yeah. is it that, that 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 information is not public is because it all goes through comicsology i mean because comicsology funds even marvel and dc's apps like that's all yeah. the same thing yeah right? yeah like, so you know, they, because there's everything else is like chartable yeah they reports at, at the very least like you can go look at uh, the exact the percentages market sales, share for every yeah. company yeah, and and it's weird too because they used to have to in the indicia have to is it indicia 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 I don't know like every year they it's would have a to saucy. definitely a saucy that makes sense <laughs> uh, that makes Kent's um, <laughs> the the uh, they would every year for postal regulations have to announce what the mean average of published issues was yeah. huh. in the past year and Go what the highest selling and lowest selling were find those and they're in their 90s comics and like um not blog x which is a really great x-men blog about the 90s x-men comics will when he comes across issues with those numbers he'll post them and it's like excalibur sold hundred thousand copies a month it's like huh. excalibur like yeah. man we've yeah. fallen far <laughs> so do you do you think that I don't know. I, I think this is an interesting statement. I think it may be a little incendiary, and that might. I'm have also been his I'm also being a jerk that is way too defensive about superhero comics um, because I 100 percent agree that it is not only superheroes. Of course, it isn't, and that really great comics for some reason don't sell as much as superheroes. I mean, like when they should. Like right. books like Saga are more palatable to just a wider audience because, like, it's more accessible uh it's a great story i mean books like velvet sure a lot of the things that um, image is doing can yeah, draw image people is in making i mean I'm, I'm inclined to be sympathetic to what he's saying because image is making the right moves right now i think you know they're they're putting out so many uh really quality and interesting yeah. books and that are also like physically well-made books i think that matters too you, yeah. they're nice yeah. to oh, hold yeah. in your hand yes a dc Di- dark comic, horse and look, image you know you feel like books. a teenager holding a dc comic and i feel like a, an adult who reads? Uh, who would go to like an independent bookstore? Could pick up like a nice white covered, well graphic designed image book and be like, "Oh, this is a thing I'm not embarrassed as an adult to read." I agree. I think that's important. Yeah. I do think that in this speech, he falsely equates superheroes with being immature storytelling. And that's I true. Think, that's fair. I think we've seen, which is the thing that people were really mad about. Yeah, and, and I think I would imagine that would cause some backlash. I think I think he goes too far as to say we need to stop just telling stories i mean i do think we need to stop just telling stories about superheroes but i think it's really like the difficult thing is that superheroes are locked into this uh not just big two but you know we say big two like it's like oh it's the two biggest comics uh you know comics companies in in america or or worldwide it's not we're talking about time warner and disney we're talking about we're talking about forbes 500 you know these are like two of the biggest corporations worldwide uh one of which is about to gain a stranglehold on the entire country's internet communications like these are influential companies with a lot at stake and disney almost basically just owns entertainment yeah exactly and and, and so we go like oh you know there's this like no no we're not talking about superheroes we're talking about corporate comics and i think that's a a big problem yeah is that a lot of the stories that are great it's almost like these brilliant stories like you know i've read good and bad x-men stories and it's kind of like almost sometimes feels like the 
brilliant stories are in spite of the business plan and like they it's like oh a creative guy got away with something for yeah, a while yeah. and it was selling until they were like uh dumb it down there's a movie coming out wait a minute what's happening over there yeah, uh, I, who's gay yeah <laughs> oh jeez <laughs> but i do think like i also think that i mean i mean i mean full disclosure marvel gives me a lot of my you know, uh, your salary, income. like, yeah. um, for the but, audience at home, Matt just, uh, reached to turn Brett's mic down. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, oh, I, uh, bias, but I, bias pan. Yeah. I can, a hundred, <laughs> I believe in what they do because they, they don't have to do any of the things. They don't have to have Miss Marvel being a comic book right now that they are pushing all the time. And I mean, maybe, they're pushing it because like being diverse is like being diverse isn't a hip thing. Being diverse isn't a thing that sells. I don't know. You didn't see that Cheerios commercial during the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm telling yeah, you. Geez. You do know so, that one black guy married one white lady or the other way around. I don't and remember. They still like cereal. I know. What? what? Just like, um, but it, they their, don't. Their mutant offspring, <laughs> as it was able to eat regular human Cheerios. Human Cheerio. <laughs> um, but they don't have to be doing any of that stuff. They don't have to be taking any of their Disney dollars and doing that. And they also don't have to be giving their Avengers book to Jonathan Hickman, who is a guy that is not going to play play nicely with your average like popcorn munching. I like that Avengers movie. I'm going to pick me up an Avengers book. Seriously. You pick up a Hickman Avengers comic, you have to be in for the ride. Yeah. You have to be paying attention. Okay, well, so this flashback in issue number one is actually a flash forward to issue 25. <laughs> yeah. I think that it, that did happen. Right? happen. Or, or I don't know yeah. how far, but it was like 19 yeah. Like when he does that in the first issue where yeah. it's like, some people think it started here and I was like, oh, I must not have read the last series. And I was like, yeah. no, 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 he's flash forwarding like two years from now so yeah so like there's a thing like that yeah corporate comics you know can be bullshit and there's a but marvel is spending marvel's choosing to make their money in some risky ways and i do think that is great let me ask you this because they they are hiring a lot more both uh, both publishers actually are hiring a lot more independent creators i do know from speaking to creators at the big two that also have independent books that this is an era where you can make a living working on your own book at Image right now. Now it takes a lot of work, but you can you can do that. Whereas even and, ten years ago, yeah. you couldn't. And right. it helps to have a pedigree from Marvel or DC sure. when you go there, which is the other That's thing true. that that some people did point out about Eric Stevenson's speech is like he's running a company that right now is built on the backs of people that made their name at Marvel. Yeah. Because you got your mm-hmm. Kelly Sue DeConnick books, your Matt Fraction books, your Ed Brubaker books. But let me well, ask also you was this. originally founded yeah, by people who, right. that, who left with. Marvel and DC. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, though. Do you think – Do you think? and I, I think we can all agree Image right now, like as, as a publisher, knocking it out of the part. The, the diversity yeah. and the quality of the yeah, books yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think and I, even the quality of the physical product. Yeah. You yeah. know what You know what? no one's ever talked about is how nice it is to hold a physical copy of an image book yeah. or a Dark Horse book. I, Nat, would you agree with that? That makes a big difference to me. <laughs> I remember I, I, I'm kidding. I, I didn't I'm normally uh, – no, but like seriously, I did not normally read uh, Dark Horse books until – I mean like my friend Jim Gibbons became an editor there and I yeah. like supporting my friend's stuff and I started buying the books that he edits and then I also like the Star Wars books came back in a vengeance and I remember holding – my first I can't even remember which Dark Horse comic it was over the past couple years. It might have been like a ghost number one or something. And just being like, wait a second, like this paper stock is <laughs> nice. Like it yeah. is thick and it's only two dollars like two or three dollars. Yeah, it's not like Sunday Funny's newsprint where the colors are all off by half a <laughs> centimeter. Yeah. Like 
So, so let me ask you this: Do I you feel it. like because you know super superheroes were de rigueur in the 30s and the 40s, but after the 40s, it became horror comics and it became romance and it became westerns? Do you think, based on images output, are we at the beginning of a shift, another shift away from superhero comics? I would say, and I, I, I think I was maybe a little brash in defining Marvel and DC as exclusively being corporate comics, because part of the point I was going to say is that, like like I said, it sometimes feels like things happen in spite of the, the company, but they are also an independent company within the entity of Disney, for example, yeah. and they can make their own decisions to up to up to a point. Just sure. occasionally that big hand is, gets comes down on their <laughs> shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Three-fingered hand. I think that the thing that's uh, – like, like I said, I, I think that his equating superhero comics with mediocrity is, is an oversimplification. That a lot of superhero books are unfortunately um, tied into this monthly schedule where it's like, well, it's not just – how do we make the best book for when that book comes out? It's like we need to have a new book every month and often just the schedule alone or also just the the business dynamics of monthly sales and trying to manipulate that leads to books being pushed out too early or people being yeah. thrown together who are not right for a certain book. Yeah. You know, you look at something like I don't know, like what's a, like a masterpiece comic told like a really like a long Halloween, something like yeah. that where it's like that was a monthly book uh, and it was and it's done with a mainstream superhero, but it was like a special project. And you can't expect every issue of Batman, even though Batman Year One was four consecutive issues of Detective Comics, <laughs> which we must remember when we put down monthly books. But uh, <laughs> you can't expect every four issues to be sure. Year One, for example. And I, so I think it's like it's really it's unfortunate, but the case is that a lot of those superheroes that we love so much are you have to admit the fact that they're not going to be consistent. 100% consistent stories, yeah. whereas with a publisher that's a little bit more lenient or a little bit more flexible or just not tied to a corporation's bottom line, they're able to be – for example, Saga. Um, it's uncommon – you've seen it in, in Marvel and DC, but it's uncommon for a book to have the same writer and artist, especially if it's only one artist, not an yeah. anchor, penciler, or colorist um, – for 18 straight issues yeah. and producing, I would say, increasingly high-quality work every yeah. month. Yeah. And I think the reason that they've done that, and they've been really upfront about it uh, in the back of the book, is they basically say, we take three every six issues, we take three months off so that the book can come out monthly and have the right quality and the right art and be the book that we want it to be. And so far, so good in that case. You don't see books coming out from DC right now that have that kind of track record. Yeah. Which is it's, also I like because DC so doesn't it's about do the superheroes exactly though. Yeah, you know? sure. DC doesn't do the bi-weekly stuff that Marvel does, and they still have. I mean, I was noticing like with Marvel, like the, all the last books that came out of the year, what about uh, Villains Month, man. <laughs> that was weekly. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh boy. Um, Four Batman books. Like the last, eight, the last month of Batman Marvel books. comics Batman of 2013 was pretty good. Every single issue I bought had at least two pencilers on it. Some yeah. of them had three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but then. I also well, it's the it's the sort of Lorne Michaels explanation of Saturday Night Live, where we don't put a show up because it's ready. We put yeah. a show up because it's eleven thirty on Saturday night. Right. Yeah, 
which I which I also like. I mean, I not to say those issues were bad at all. I liked a lot of those issues. Right. I don't think that multiple artists equate automatically equates bad. Um, but I also think Marvel is smart enough with like books like Daredevil, where Daredevil only came out maybe twelve to fifteen times in two thousand thirteen, right. compared to like Avengers, which came out twenty four. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's because I would assume it's because Marvel knows Mark Wade and Chris Somney are making gold, and they're not going mm-hmm. to put the same type of you know uh, schedule publishing schedule on them because they know it won't work with them. Is do what you think I it's assume. that, or do you think it's the sales level? I don't, I don't because, know. How is Daredevil selling? You know, like it sells well, but there's no way it sells Avengers numbers because Avengers yeah. is like the hot. Look at how many books they have with the word Avengers in the title now, right? Yeah. Eight, I think. Really? Oh, boy. Avengers AI, New Avengers, Avengers, Mighty Avengers, Avengers Secret Avengers, Assemble. Young Avengers, Avengers Assemble. I think that was seven. Oh. And uh, Avengers. Oh, um, Avengers World. Arena. Avengers, Avengers World. World. Avengers Undercover is starting. That's a thing. Ah. Okay, Arena's over though. But yeah, still, Arena's I think we just com- hit eight. Yeah. 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 yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting, and you know we we're I just probably won gonna... the worst version of the Olympics. <laughs> 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 the, the Olympic event where you want to come in last place. <laughs> yeah, you got a you got a dog medal. It's gold backwards. Okay, um, uh, Uncanny X Men, X Men, Wolverine of the X Men, all new X Men. Uh, you oh, know, and we're saying this. In, in... Oh, I got bronze. <laughs> just real fast, just to sort of wrap this up. Uh, he also mentions, you know, he talks about intellectual properties and how comics as IP is sort of, and I think that's sort of what you were saying is, you know, when it comes to corporate comics, that's. They are, they are. They're intellectual property to uh, to a larger organization who yeah. bought the company for that reason. And a lot of people are talking about, like, The Walking Dead being a TV show now and that bringing people in. Um, and he, he hits on saying that uh, that's because the show made people aware of the comic and those people come to the stores to get that comic because they want the real thing. Because Walking Dead was the real thing first. Transformers comics will never be the real thing. G.I. Joe comics will never be the real thing. Star Wars comics will never be the real thing. Those comics are for fans that love the real thing so much they want more. But there's a the important thing to understand. They don't want more comics. They just want more of the thing they love. I think that's true, but what's his point in comparing like licensed properties like the stuff that IDW and Dynamite put out with stuff that is for example in, an independent creator like uh, Kirkman getting his work turned into a TV show. I don't really understand the point in comparing those two. I like, think that's fair and I, I think that's part kind of, of it... what licensed comics have always been, right? Yeah. Like I yeah. want more of this. They won't that it's too expensive to make more t- of that TV show. Yeah. Well, but I think comics this was, are lower risk. It, it's Dude. sort of speaking to the idea that like people are talking about how My Little Pony books and Adventure Time are pulling people in, but those were cartoon shows before they were comics, so you can't ever expect the comic series to outpace the well, the shows. Yeah, are they? Ex- are is the. Is is Eric Stevenson assuming that everyone operates under the assumption that an Adventure Time comic book that sells gangbusters means that those people are going to start reading other comics? Like, is that what the assumption was? I think so. Yeah, I've, I think basically I don't know if I've he's, ever had that assumption. he's saying that those people will only come in and buy only Transformers only comics because like, they're, they're not coming in as a comics fan. Yeah, they're coming in as a Transformers fan. A, I don't, uh, that's not a bad. That's not a bad thing at all. I don't think that's a bad. Well, thing Well, it means at all. it doesn't help the industry though. I, I, I guess I see yeah. what he's saying. Where it's like. 
we have more and more licensed comics based on popular TV shows, I think. I think there's more now than ever. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a lot. Yeah. I mean, you've got multiple publishers that are – that's their bread and butter now. It used to be just one or, like, Dark Horse and – yeah. Um, but they're also still like selling comics, so I, I, I don't. I mean, it's just like that. Their their way of selling comics is not as good as. Uh, well, you don't another need. Way? But I think the thing is, um, if you look at it from a business standpoint, you don't need numbers; you need growth. Yeah. So those people will buy that comic until uh, it dies or they die. Sorry to get bleak, <laughs> and they will not necessarily grow they the comics yeah. industry. What you want in order to have growth to measure growth is people who will read a book or they get tied in from something like a tv show with a comic and then theoretically they walk into the comic shop and they go oh this comic is great now i see all these other comics around me and every year they start buying one more book on a monthly basis or something yeah. like that are there i mean are there real i mean do they even do numbers I'm not saying because i mean like again like happen. the adventure time comic one eisner's yeah um so therefore like it does have it Ha- like the the thing that we've created to measure merit in the comic book industry, Adventure Time measures up to it. <laughs> right, right. Um. So I'm wondering, like, is there a way to, and have they ever even measured Adventure Time comic book audience, which is huge, and to see if they're buying other things? I mean, like, there's a lot of, I don't know if there are facts. It would be nice if we had those digital numbers. Yeah, right? like because you, yeah. Could, have, you could probably count be like, of the people on Comicsology. Oh, what did they buy? What's after in their shopping cart? I mean, but also you could do it chronologically. Yeah. This person right. who bought X many issues of Adventure Time bought, you know, who knows? Because I do think that there's like a weird, just like making an argument that I do think is valid. Like, yeah, if people are coming in and buying Adventure Time comics and not buying other things, then yeah, like that isn't growing the industry. Um, it's a temporary fix maybe because it's like a big boost that isn't stable for a long time. But do we know that those people aren't buying other things? I don't know. I yeah. just think that I just think that there just needs to be like handwritten surveys. Every single teller <laughs> at oh, every yeah. comic book store seems to be writing down everything they're selling and then putting it in an envelope, attaching it to an owl. Oh, I bet people working in retail would love to do more work for the same amount of money. Oh, yeah, yeah, more, yeah. That more sounds, talk. That's usually what that's the American dream. Right? More interaction yeah. with the customer, one on one, every yeah, customer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's the way to Especially go. Especially the kind of person who comes to a comic shop. I mean, I bet both the employees <laughs> and the customers. Oh, the customers really... have to love standing in a queue yeah. for much longer. I, mean, I definitely. I, want... I think. I think the social interactions there. You're just talking about a great, chem- you know, great chemistry. I, I mean, I want pot. people being like, "Oh no, you're going to love going to a comic for the comic store for the first time. You're going to talk a lot." to a lot of different people who are going to ask you a lot of questions <laughs> about what you're buying and why you're buying. Why are you sweating and running away? It why is are you funny sweating? because I know that comic shops are really intimidating to a lot of people and they don't know how to, they're afraid to, add. and like I find in general if you go, well, I like this thing, what else will I like? Most people who work at comic shops are excited to tell you the answer to that. And yeah. my, one of my reasons yeah. that, I mean, I read some comics digitally. I don't think digital comics are all the way there yet. They're practically in terms of like not cluttering my house with single issues of books that I might like. Yeah. I think sure. that's a nice thing. Yep. <laughs> but like um but they're not they're not the real thing for me yet. But uh one of the main reasons other than the fact that I don't think that the presentation of digital comics is all the way there yet is I like going to a store and talking to people. I like that I can go and argue with the guys who work at the comic shop <laughs> or or about how they feel about a book or you talk to a person who is like, you know, 
very enthusiastic about about something I'm very enthusiastic about and know that when I'm getting a recommendation, I'm getting a recommendation because I've talked to this guy about 10 other books. You know, I now trust his opinion or yep. I know where we differ. Yeah. And part of my favorite part about going to comic shops is the conversations that I have with people. And also I find that the kind of person who goes to buy comics at a comic shop will also just start talking to you. And, well, I think this thing. You didn't read that in the I've had so many arguments or enthusiastic conversations oh, yeah. with total strangers because they read the same comic book that came out before both of us were born, you know, <laughs> and we both read it 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, like, that's, I don't know, that's a cool experience. Yeah. And I, I think that that, like, it's unfortunate that people are so freaked out about the exclusiveness of comic shops but also i live in new york where there's a lot of really good options and i understand that they can be more insular in other places we're definitely we're definitely spoiled in that sense and that's that's also part of the reason why i moved to new york because i went to i went to midtown comics when i was 20 years old and visiting the city and i said oh this is this is actually a nice clean comic book store and not a converted bicycle heroin shop (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're very friendly there i uh I, I bought all my comics there during high school for the, yeah. for, for the most part, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a – I mean, it's going to be a constant debate. It's going to be something that goes back and forth because – one, I think, too, because you do get a lot of passion from the people who are deeply invested in the industry itself. I mean, we mm-hmm. don't – I mean, well, you – Brett, you do uh, have more vested interest in it than uh, Natterai because – Natterai – Sounds like some That's type what, of the name, my name is short for yeah Japanese blade Star Trek alien yeah Natterai. Um, That's an anime I've never watched. <laughs> but I mean, look at how passionate we are about it, just as people who passively engage with it. You oh, know, I yell at my comics exactly. <laughs> so I don't know if I call it passive. Exactly. <laughs> but it's it's always going to be a discussion. I think it's uh, and I, fascinating and interesting. And... I also, I mean, um, I also think that. I don't know. I've gotten on this big kick up. I also think that comics are one of the quickest ways that we can measure social progress and cultural change because the turnaround on them is relatively quicker compared Fair. to That's television and movies. And so the fact, like, I love being able to see, like, you know, gay superhero wedding that happened like just a, like a month or two after it got legalized in New York. Like, I love like, yeah, uh, like Miss Marvel happening and like more female books. Like, I like that you can measure. Almost how we're coming as a culture. That's a good point. Um, by comic books. And also the fact that superhero comics are stories about empowerment and uh, like confidence and support. And uh, there are these great myths and tales that are inspirational and aspirational. And the fact that I like that those stories seem to be the most powerful um, to put people. Of minority and also um, less privileged socially and monetarily, whatever, uh, in those stories. I think that's it's very powerful. I think you're right. And I think that, again, that's, I, that's why I think him saying superheroes are the problem is a major misnomer. Because I think that a lot of the Marvel superhero books right now are on par with some of the good image books. And I would also go so far as to say... Uh, Sex Criminals is a superhero story. They just don't have <laughs> costumes on. Yeah, like they, the, it's about two people who discovered their own <laughs> superpowers in their teenage years. They're they're outcasts. They find each other, and yeah. then things go crazy from there. Like that is a fairly, I don't say typical, but that's like a fairly by the book superhero yeah. origin yeah. story. But it it's the good kind of superhero origin story where 
you know, some people are confident their whole lives and like, you know, whatever, and, and enjoy your life in the business industry or, or in the financial district or whatever. Yeah, whatever congratulations whatever you on your choose. confidence power suit. Yeah. Well, you know, all I'm saying is if you're if you're if you're confident from age zero to twenty one, like have you know, have a great life. Whatever. Yeah. I'm, but this is not uh I'm this message is not for you. But I think that like the, to be like people jump into comics and they just see these dumb superhero books is is not the right way of looking at it because there i i think you know i know a lot of people my girlfriend only started reading comics about three years ago and she was like it always just looked like dumb muscly guys hitting each other i can't believe how much i love them now and she really likes the hulk and the x-men and it's and it is because it's this it's these characters who are vulnerable it's these characters who have problems that feel real and then powers that seem to be a fairly solid metaphorical analog to the real problems that you have also and i think that like looking at it like um and i did promise i was going to come back to this which is i said i stopped reading dc books and when i kind of got back into on a monthly basis reading superhero comics i landed way more on marvel's side because as a teenager, I was interested in, in powers and power fantasies and being more powerful than I was as a skinny teenager. And so Superman was great. Yeah. But as an adult, I have uh, made peace with the fact that I'm a flawed human being. And I would rather read a book about Spider-Man, who's in his late 20s and lives in New York in a cheap apartment. Like, like <laughs> yeah. those are stories that, like mirror my life outside of the fighting supervillains part <laughs> to an eerie degree the peter yeah. parker story is is or even you know x-men stories and like these are stories of people who are disenfranchised uh they're stories of of self-actualization and i think that that's a really relatable narrative that people don't see necessarily when you look at the average comic book cover and i i think that since the new 52 dc has done a terrible job of making that element of storytelling accessible to a new reader i think they thought they were going to pull a bunch of people in by being like here's a number one issue and here's a plot that could be in a movie here's a lot of plot can you believe this crazy twist at the end of every uh issue and it's like yeah i can because i don't care what happens to these people and i don't know anything about them uh, yeah. What is Pandora and why are these villains <laughs> and the thing? And there's like, like who? But it's cares? Villains Month. Yeah, exactly. It's a month of villains. But that's the problem, though. <laughs> Even the villain. I read some of the Villains Month uh, because uh, honestly, some of the villains are. You know, I was mentioning earlier some of the villains with tragic backstories. Like, let's say the Batman villains are. Yeah. Are so many of them are like fallen. Uh, good doers you know do gooders however you want to say that <laughs> phrase good doers. but um so many of them are like once noble people who fell and like it became too much and they went the wrong way and so i was like oh i'll i'll pick up the batman 23 point whatever books and i was like all right it's just kind of costumes and bright colors and yeah everything. it's just costumes and it, it is it's costumes and it's plot but there's not giving you like i can read the the batman the scott snyder batman book and sort of apply what he's doing in that book to my knowledge of Batman. And we go, oh, that's really interesting because this is where he's coming from. But I don't think they're really giving new readers the character basis for these books to actually be interesting and accessible. And they go, whoa, how come, you know, how come six months into the new 52 sales were down? And it's because, well, you hooked people in with these origin stories. And then the origin stories immediately led to fighting aliens or something yeah. or, or just fighting other superhero, other people in costumes. 
and you didn't give them a reason, an ongoing reason to relate to these people. Whereas, yeah. like, if you read Spider Man, it's you know, and I know we're in spectacular right now, but if you read, say, the the the, the later Amazing Spider Man run. Every issue, there is a non-costumed problem going on. There's always something that's difficult in his life that he's balancing with being a superhero. And even the superhero stuff, they make relatable to regular people. Like, it's all character-driven, and all that stuff ties together. Where And, and I think that—I know this is getting kind of long-winded, and I apologize, but I think that, like, <laughs> image books do that part well. You, re, you pick up a pay—you uh, know, you pick up an image book, and you know— pretty quickly what's going on with yeah. the characters like I, I mean i think saga is obviously an excellent example of that in the first couple of pages you get a real sense of the characters and how they talk and who they all are and it's there's enough mystery that you want to know more but like you know that first scene where you see the will and uh yeah he offers to kill the baby he's like oh yeah. so you want me to kill the kid too and they're like no it's valuable bring him back and he's like what kind of assholes would bring a kid into this world it's like perfect yeah now you know like what yeah kind of, like he's professionally ruthless like he's detached from the job there's this whole thing like you get all this stuff together and they're doing that without it necessarily being a superhero book sex criminals first issue you know a lot about both yeah. and by the end of the second issue you know everything about you need to know about both characters yeah. again i would argue it's a superhero book but they're not <laughs> but they're not wearing costumes and punching each other i think marvel some of their books they do that thing that image is doing right and some of their books, they don't. But I think that Stephenson is wrong to say, oh, people have seen superheroes. They've made up their minds. I think it's possible to introduce people who have seen the movies to superheroes and go and, and give it to them in an interesting way. I mean, I think a lot of people saw the Avengers and were like, I feel like the Hulk all the time. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I have this suppressed rage I, or I have this thing about me that I can't let out or that i'm worried about you know anyone who's ever had an anxiety attack watched ruffalo's performance and was like i can't believe that how much that's like me that's you know? hero, yeah. yeah yeah exactly and, and that that's a superhero yeah. and that they all have these kind of problems and so i don't Whereas think the say, previous two hulk movies probably didn't convince them of that no probably not <laughs> because they aren't that good the second like, one maybe yeah. but yeah even the character stuff is not great in that. well and even like you can go see the avengers and see hawkeye and you're not going it's not the to... best version of Hawkeye, but yeah, like exactly, like the movie audience has seen Hawkeye, but they will probably love the Hawkeye comic. I know, and he's and one that's... of the ones where the character's not that well represented as to what's going on in the actual. And so book, it's like, unfortunately, Eric Stevenson. It's like I don't like they've seen Hawkeye, but they don't know Hawkeye. Like you can show them a Hawkeye that they would yeah. love, and yeah. when you look at the success Hawkeye has had. Hawkeye is successful because of all of the jokes and personal moments in it. Mm -hmm. That stupid Hawkeye cock blocking <laughs> graphic is one of the most popular like things yeah. on the internet. And that's not a punch. That is not a fight. That is a joke. Like a joke from that book is popular. Yeah, it's I character. think unfortunately though that uh. the Hawkeye book and part of its popularity is like it is the flip side to the Avengers. It's it's so not the Avengers yeah. style of yeah. storytelling. And unfortunately as much as I love the movie, The Avengers, they did not do a great job with making his character interesting. He's missing for like the first 30 minutes of the movie because he gets his brain taken over. And yeah, then afterwards, he's like, too. hey, uh, it sure does suck when a guy from space takes over your brain. And you're like, yeah, well, that's relatable. I believe that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. No, not, not relatable. Like, it's understandable been there, that bro. you're not a character for another half hour. Like, And then in the end, he's just on a corner shooting arrows at people. Oh, uh, but... In a really badass way. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Uh, he's doing it I, with both arms. But, uh, I, I love Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye. But it's not a good way <laughs> of jumping in. Like Whereas, like again, with the Hulk, I think is probably the best 
the most interesting character in that movie. Um, I think that was a way where a lot of people who were not into superheroes saw that movie and were surprised that they could like that they could yeah. identify with the superhero so much. I don't know if they went into read comics, but I do think it's possible to get people into comics through superheroes. I think the real problem is is storytelling, and and it's it's are you telling a good story? Are you telling a character driven story? Are you telling a relatable, grounded story, even if it's in outer space? And I think that the fact that unfortunately a lot of superheroes, like I said earlier, are owned by corporations means that sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah. But I don't think that it means you can't tell a superhero story and appeal to people who are not comic book readers. Yeah. And I think we can all agree that comics are for kids only. Yeah. Uh, Bing Bam Pow. Yep. <laughs> oh, geez. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's about it, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a, that, was a, that was a lot of fun. That last um, thing I said was half an hour alone, right? Yeah, yeah. That was well. It was a. Uh, it spun off into its own mini series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I want to thank Nat for coming into the show. Thank you so much for having today. Me. Yeah, uh, plug away. Tell us what you got going on. Where we can find you. What's happening? Sure. Um, if you want to come to the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater East, just look at the calendar whenever you happen to be listening to this, and look for the next Nat Towson's Downtown Variety Hour. It's the show with my name in the title. You can follow me on Twitter at Nat Towson, T-O-W-S-E-N. And also, I write a lot of comic book-related stuff for College Humor. So, however you navigate collegehumor.com, good luck and find my articles somehow. Oh, man. Uh, Not that it's a bad – there's just no page of my – I don't know the URL. I'm just saying go – you 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 were listening to this. You figured out the internet. Go ahead. Yeah, find <laughs> <I'm> you. <laughs> you should have seen us before we started. We have clearly not figured out technology <laughs> or the internet. Um, yeah. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. If you want more of the show, you can go to mattandbrettlovecomics.com, where uh, you can rate and review the show, leave comments, talk to us about all of your feelings that are comic book related and only comic book related. Yeah, yeah. We'll be uh, we'll bring. We'll be bringing the mailbag back in a couple of episodes. So if you have anything you want to talk about, any feedback, please send that to us while you're at the website. Why not dip into our back issue catalog? For example... We read Saga with uh, stand-up comedian and author DC Pearson. Indeed. Or you can check out the issue where we talked about one of my favorite books of all time, Quantum and Woody, with Drew Johnston and Nicole Dressel. Yeah. Drew Johnston of the Chris Gethard Show, possibly Nic- coming to Comedy Central soon. And Nicole Dressel of 30 Rock and uh, Broad City. Broad thing. City. She's been in two episodes so far. Yeah. She is Alana Glazer's be- beleaguered uh, desk mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, why are they? You can go to the Who Loves Comics tab and find links to all of our social media presence. You can heckle us on Twitter in the nice way. Yeah, yeah, be a nice heckler. <laughs> uh, if you're interested and you love the show, as always, you are our biggest mouthpieces out there. So tell everyone you know, hold your grandmother down, whisper oh. it in her ear until she says she'll download it. Um, oh gosh! No. Take take the show, burn it on a zip disc, yeah, and duct tape it <laughs> to the back disc. of children on their way to school. See, the first part of that was fine, but don't um, zip, don't use, don't do children. Cut the brakes on someone's car and tell them the only way that you'll fix it is no. if they listen to Matt and Brett Love Comics. Well, I, no, that that is more acceptable because they're not as long as they're not driving. Fair enough. Okay, that's fine. Make sure they're driving, okay, then cut no. their brakes. Oh, divorce someone and refuse to pay alimony unless they listen to Matt oh, and Brett geez. Love Comics. See, there right. you go. Uh, Guys. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Ben Regeeb, who puts up with a lot of Matt's homicidal tendencies. <laughs> that's true. You do indeed, Mr. Ben Regeeb. You truly are the Bruce Wayne to our Alfred. 
How about that? I think it would be the other way around. It would be, it would but be. I don't want to make Ben seem like he's the servile one. I love you, Ben. Uh, he's yeah. He gets to be the guy in the suit that beats the shit out of people in this <laughs> scenario. He uh, wins. Yeah, Alfred. Well, he definitely... <laughs> Yeah. He wears a suit. Batman wears a costume. Come on. Yeah, let's yeah there you go. <laughs> awesome. sure. Well, thanks so much, Nat, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and until next time. This is Matt. And this is Brett. And we love. We love. We love you.